Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. As we begin this Advent season, and Advent is simply the season leading up to Christmas, it's important to step back from what our culture, what our country has sort of turned Christmas into. Um, a commercial moneymaker that's all about Santa, gifts for ourselves, and self-indulgence. And instead, we need to begin to reflect on the real reason for the season. It's so easy to get caught up in the Christmas season that we forget to remember why it is we're celebrating Christmas in the first place. As people of faith, we need to be intentional in pulling back from what the world is selling to us and center our hearts around Christ the King. I'm not saying to not have a Christmas tree or exchange gifts. My family is going to uh, enjoy these things during Christmas time. I'm not saying to not have family Christmas traditions. My family has plenty of them. What I am saying is don't get caught up in the rat race and become consumed by all of these things. Don't let consumerism Christmas steal your joy during this season. Don't let difficult or annoying family members steal your joy this season. How many of you have one of those? Difficult, annoying, frustrating family? Don't let that person steal your joy this Christmas season. Don't let the fact that you weren't able to buy every single gift you wanted to buy steal your joy this Christmas season. Don't let the lack of budgeting all year long for Christmas steal your joy as you're racking your brain figuring out how you're going to pay for everything you need to buy for all the gifts you need to buy all of the things you need to get ready for as the Christmas season is coming near don't don't let that steal your joy maybe the answer is to scale down a bit this year as my sister and Priscilla's brother and sister started having kids of their own one of the things that Priscilla and I suggested was Instead of buying the parent and the kids all gifts during Christmas, why don't we just focus it in on the children and then just buy all of our nieces and nephews gifts instead of doing everything. And, and this saved us a lot of money. And how many more things do I really need? How many more gadgets and gizmos and all of those things do I really need? Maybe the answer to having a little bit of joy this Christmas season is scaling down some of the things that you put so much energy into that causes so much stress in your life, maybe the answer is to scale it down a bit this year. As I was thinking about this Advent season and what I wanted our hearts to be focused on, I kept being pointed towards this one certain scripture. You may have heard about it or heard of it before. In fact, uh, probably all of you know this verse of scripture. I would say it's the most famous verse in all of the Bible. I would say if you grew up in church or attended church at all as a child, you probably have it memorized. It's one that I memorized as a young kid. And I want to take us to John 3.16. And I'm reading it from the King James Version because that's the version that I learned it in. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The disciple John recorded these words of Jesus during a discussion he was having about the new birth with 
Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee and one of the rulers of the Jews is what the, the Scripture tells us. And what this meant was that Nicodemus was part of the Sanhedrin, which was the highest court in Jewish culture during the first century. So it was basically the supreme court for the Jewish people during the first century. So the Bible tells us that the honorable Nicodemus came to Jesus by night to ask him about some doctrinal questions that he could not wrap his mind around. He was grappling with some doctrinal issues and he just couldn't wrap his mind around. So he came and visited Jesus during the night to ask him about some of these questions. And you can tell that Nicodemus was a genuine seeker rather than someone who was trying to trap Jesus in his words, as some Pharisees did, because the text tells us that he came by night. He didn't come during the day. He probably came by night because he didn't want anyone else to know what he was doing. If he was trying to trap Jesus in his words, he would have came during the day where everybody could have seen and heard what it was he was trying to do. And I believe that Nicodemus later on became a follower of Christ because John tells us in, in chapter 19 of his gospel that Nicodemus went with Joseph of Arimathea and prepared Jesus' body for burial, and he even helped in the burial process. If Nicodemus was not a follower of Jesus at this time, I don't see why he would, be risk, why he would risk being caught with Jesus during this tumultuous time. But in chapter number 3, Nicodemus could not wrap his mind around how a person could be born again. A person could go back into his mother's womb and be born again. He was thinking about new birth and salvation through natural terms instead of spiritual terms. And as Jesus was explaining salvation and what it means to be born again, he made this incredible statement that we just read together. And I would like to pull something out for us from John 3.16. And what I hope we will do is to make this a rhythm in our lives during this Christmas and Advent season. And so I'm titling our December series leading up to Christmas, Christmas Rhythms. And here's what I would like for us to see in John 3.16. And it's my first point. Our Heavenly Father's love for humanity resulted in Him giving. Did you see that? Our Heavenly Father's love for humanity resulted in Him giving. For God so loved the world that He gave. Giving is an outworking of love. The verse doesn't say, for God so loved the world that He preached. It doesn't say, for God so loved the world that He built a worldly empire. It doesn't say, for God so loved the world that He erected big buildings. It doesn't say, for God so loved the world, that he saved a huge sum of money. It says that God so loved the world that the result of that, wor uh, that, the result of that love was that he gave. The word Advent comes to us from the Latin, and it means coming. We celebrate this season because Jesus stepped out of heaven and came to the earth and he's coming back again to defeat Satan and his army once and for all and he is going to rule and reign with his bride here on earth. But let's not forget that Jesus came to this earth because his mother gave him. 
And the reason his father gave him to us is because he loves the world and the people in the world that he created. God the Father modeled love to us, and a natural response of that love is to give. Yeah. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God loved and that resulted in him giving his one and only son, then if we are loved by God and we love God, that should result in each one of us giving as well. As Christ followers, how can we not be the most generous people on the planet because our God has been so incredibly generous to each and every one of us? We should be the most generous people on the planet. We should be generous with our time to God. We should be generous with our talent to God. And we should be generous with our treasure to God. We are not generous in order to earn love from God, but we are generous because we are infinitely loved by God. And the result of that love is generosity. The proof or evidence that we are loved by God and love God is generosity. During the early church days, there was a need that arose in the church in Jerusalem, and Paul, the apostle, was tasked with the responsibility of collecting and offering from the church in Corinth to, the, to give to the needy believers in the church in Jerusalem. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where we're going to spend the rest of our time today, we see that the apostle Paul is challenging the Corinthian church to be generous in their financial giving. The folks in the church of Corinth were well off financially, so Paul brought to their attention the generous offering of the Macedonian churches who was made up of people who were not so well off. And so we're going to pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 1. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Num verse number three. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Verse five. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. Sometimes what keeps people from creating a rhythm of giving and generosity in their lives are obstacles. I don't make enough money to be generous. I have my own needs. I, I, I can't go above and beyond and be generous because of my own needs. Why does the church want my money anyway? That leads me to my second point. Our willingness to give should not be dependent on our socioeconomic status but upon God's love for us. Let me say that again. Our willingness to give should not be dependent on our socioeconomic status, but it should be based upon God's love for us. Paul tells us here that the people in the Macedonian churches were dirt poor, okay? They weren't just poor, they were po, okay? That's another level of poor. Okay? That's taking it a step further than just poor. They were poor. Okay? 
They were from the ungentrified part of town. They were from the neighborhoods that people avoid. Okay? They worked the minimum wage jobs trying to make ends meet. Paul tells us that the people in these churches were facing many, many troubles. They were dealing with trying to figure out how to pay rent. They were dealing with trying to figure out how to put food on the table. They were dealing with figuring out how to deal with the different social classes and power structures that were in place. And Paul tells us in verse 2 that although these people were going through so much and they were extremely poor, they were filled with abundant joy and that joy overflowed into rich generosity. Isn't it encouraging to know that our joy is not dependent upon our outward circumstances, upon what's going on around us, upon what's happening to us. Our joy is not dependent upon those things. The joy that comes from communion with Christ is greater than your deepest disappointment. I am so encouraged that even if I don't have as much as my neighbor, I can still enjoy a life overflowing with joy. Even though I don't have the same things, the same stuff, maybe I don't make enough money or, or as much money as my neighbor. Maybe I don't have a, a, as many toys as my neighbor. Maybe I don't have that second home. Maybe I don't have that, that, that retirement account that's full of money. I have a retirement account, but it's not full of money. Maybe I don't have that. I can still have joy in my heart because my joy does not come from my outward circumstances. It comes from within through communion with Christ. The joy that Jesus gives us is outside of the temporal highs and lows that our circumstances can give us. This doesn't mean that we won't ever be sad or heartbroken or excited or happy, but what it means is that we can walk in a joy that goes beyond the valleys and the mountaintops. Something else I would like to bring your attention to is that they were generous out of their own free will, Paul tells us at the end of verse number 3. This was not something forced upon them or mandated by church leadership. Generosity is a free will choice because of the grace of God poured out upon us. It's something that you and I choose to do because of the grace and the love that we have encountered by Christ himself. They didn't allow their poverty or trials or difficulties to keep them from being generous and contributing to this offering. In fact, Paul tells us that they gave more than they could afford. When was the last time you or I gave more than we could afford to someone or to the church? One translation says they gave beyond their ability. That is powerful. They were able to do this because it was God's spirit and his grace and kindness enabling them to be generous. Why am I sharing all of this? Because this Christmas season, I want our church to operate in the rhythms of God's love, joy, and generosity. Let's fight against the world's rhythm of consume, 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 consume. How can we get more? How can we buy more? How can we pile up more? How can we get one more of this thing and one more of that thing? Let's fight against those rhythms and live in the rhythms of love and grace and joy and generosity this Christmas season. Let's not be people who overspend during the holidays and pay for it all year long as interest accrues. 
It's interesting that Christians will go into extreme debt for the things of this world, yet be really quick to tell God, I don't have enough money to give. I don't have enough money to tithe. I don't have enough money to give offerings. I, I don't have enough money to help this person that has a legitimate need because I have my own needs, yet we'll turn around and go into deep debt in order to get what we really don't need in the first place. The Macedonian church was such an amazing example of a people changed by the grace of God that Paul used their example to urge and to challenge the wealthy elites of the Corinthian church. He said, look, you guys have it all. You guys have money. You guys have good jobs. You guys have social status. But look at these poor in the Macedonian church. Look at the joy that they're uh, uh, walking in. Look at the city in, in which they are giving in. Though they don't have all the worldly stuff, they are still generous. And he urged the Corinthian believers and he challenged them by what he saw the Macedonian churches do. Let's look at verse 7. This is Paul now addressing specifically the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 7. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. Verse 9, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Paul is telling them that this is not a command to give towards this offering, but a test to see how genuine your love really is. Because authentic love always involves giving. Authentic, genuine love always involves giving. It goes beyond just talking about it. It goes into us doing something to show our love. And Paul appeals to the Corinthians by giving them the example of the poor Macedonians through the example of what Christ has done for all of us. He was teaching the Corinthians to view their money through the lens of the gospel. Jesus was rich, but he became poor. How? Well, by stepping out of heaven and coming to this earth. By doing that, he, uh, uh, the rich Savior, rich King, stepped out of heaven into poverty. Okay? By going to the cross on our behalf. By emptying himself of his godness, of his privileges, and of his authority. He emptied himself of his rights as God in order to enter into the world as human. That's how he went from being rich to accruing extreme poverty on himself. That's what the Christmas story is all about, right? God entering humanity. As John puts it, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Creator joined His creation. He wrote Himself into the story of creation. By his poverty, he made us rich. Without God emptying himself of his rights, power, and privilege, and entering into humanity, none of us would be saved today. None of us would have experienced the grace of God today. None of us would have a relationship with Jesus today. 
None of us would be forgiven and free from sin and death today. Paul is saying that if Christ showed his love toward us by becoming poor for our sakes, then we should follow that model by generously giving to the work of the gospel, which includes giving to the poor. It's not so that the gospel does not just include a salvation message of calling people to salvation to Jesus. It includes all walks of life. It includes helping the poor. It includes helping those that are sick receive healing. It includes helping people uh, uh, that, that, that feel undignified to feel uh, dignified. The gospel does all of these things. Okay, uh, and, and so we need to see that as Paul is trying to teach the Corinthians to view their, their, their finances through the lens of the gospel. The Grace Place NYC is an under-resourced church ministering in an under-resourced neighborhood to under-resourced people. That's who we are, and that's what we're doing, and that's what God has called us to do. Okay? Our church is constantly helping people in need through providing meals, gift cards, and other things as, as needs arise that we will never publicize. But we're not even touching the surface of the needs we could be needing, that, that we could be meeting. Okay, we're not even touching the surface of the needs that, that God is calling us to meet in this neighborhood, in this church, to the people that we come into contact with as we walk out of these doors. In order to be the church that God is calling the Grace Place NYC to be, we need all, from those who don't have much to those who do, to have this rhythm of generosity birthed out of God's love for us. We need to all, as a community, as a family, we need to all jump on to the ladder of generosity. We all need to come together and we need to live by this rhythm because God has called us to do more. God has called us to meet the needs in this neighborhood. God has called us to not only preach the gospel, but to help uh, raise up people in this neighborhood and bring dignity to them, to help, to help the homeless in this neighborhood, to help those that are struggling in this neighborhood. Amen? Amen. And so we have a mandate to do these things, but it's going to take the effort of all of us. Yeah. It can't be just a select few people that, get, that catch on to this vision and this rhythm of generosity because the, the need is too big for that. We're going to need the entire church family to come together and say, you know what? I'm going to live in this rhythm, not only in this Christmas season, but moving forward into 2020. I'm going to live uh, a lifestyle of generosity in order for the gospel to go forth in this neighborhood. Paul mentions several times in this chapter that your generosity is a proof or evidence of your love for God and others. That's what Paul says. Listen to the last verse in this chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 24. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. Biblical love is not hypothetical, theoretical, or philosophical, okay? Biblical love is practical, evidential, and it involves giving. It, it, it involves getting out of your comfort zone and actually tangibly showing your love through generosity. 
We live in an individualistic society where privacy, individual rights, and the power to do what we want with what we have is supreme. It's king. Okay, and I get that. But Paul is saying, express your love in the context of community evidenced by your generosity. Let, others pe let other people see your generosity. That's what Paul is saying right here. He's saying our generosity is not a private thing. Now, we're not supposed to boast about it. We're not supposed to give out of, out of pride so that others can see us and say, wow, they're generous. But we are to show others that, that the gospel has transformed us by the way we live generously among both believers and unbelievers. Paul is saying express your love for God in the context of community by the generous acts that you're doing. He was encouraging the Corinthians to let the churches see their love expressed through their generosity. God didn't just have someone write about his love for you and me. He actually showed his love for you and me by giving his son to us as he stepped out of heaven and into humanity. He didn't have to write himself into his creation narrative, but he did. Because he wanted to model to us what genuine love looks like. He became poor so that you and I could become rich. He became undignified so that you and I could become dignified. You see, some of us, when we read the Gospels and we see Jesus performing healing, we only see the physical aspects of it. But something we need to understand is that when someone was sick, when someone had leprosy, when someone was demon-possessed, not only did they have to deal with those things, but they were exiled from their social circles. They were exiled from the community, okay? They were deemed unclean, and so they couldn't have the same social status and enjoy the same things. They couldn't have the same community. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't go to the market because they were deemed unclean. And so when Jesus healed their physical body, he was also lifting up their status as a son of God or a daughter of God, okay? That's what the gospel is, okay? He became poor, not so that you and I could become poor, so that you and I could become rich is what Paul tells us, so that he could elevate us as sons and daughters of the king, not so that we can build a worldly empire, so that we can be generous and we can be his ambassadors and so that we can be his representatives here on earth. The love and grace that God has poured out into us should inspire us through the Spirit to go above and beyond in our giving. Being generous, if I could have the worship team come up, being generous, okay, living in a rhythm of generosity will affect you financially. It's, you being generous, it's not, you're going to feel it in your pocketbooks. Okay? There are certain things in your life that you might have to forego in order to be generous, or it's not real generosity. If it doesn't hurt a little bit, it's not true generosity, right? It, it might be that, you know what, I, I'm going to have to forego my Starbucks this week because I want to give a little bit extra. 
It might be I might have to sacrifice eating out this week because I want to I want to sow into someone's life a little bit this week. It, it might have to be, you know what? I don't need one more gadget. I don't need I don't need another shirt. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to sacrifice this in order to be generous for the gospel to be able to go forth. Being generous should affect at in some levels your standard of living. God's love for us definitely affected his standard of living, didn't it? The Bible says all things were made by Christ for Christ. Okay? He was ruling and reigning as the creator of heaven and earth up in heaven before he stepped out of heaven and stepped into humanity. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It affected God's standard of living. So why wouldn't generosity affect your standard of living and my standard of living? Church, when much is given, much is required. And as the Spirit leads you, directs you, convicts you, I want to challenge you, and I, I, I'm challenging myself and my wife. I want us to live in this rhythm of generosity. This Christmas season, what if you thought beyond just what you're getting everyone in your family for Christmas and decide, you know what? I'm going to sponsor a child. I'm going to sponsor a couple children who, who have one or both parents incarcerated. I'm going to sponsor them, and I'm going to purchase them Christmas gifts through the Angel Tree program that our church is putting on. And, and I, I want to thank many of you who have already been generous and have already sponsored a child. Thank you for being generous. Thank you for going above and beyond and saying, you know what? I want to bless someone else. I don't want this Christmas season just to be about me and my family and my kids and all of that. But I, I, I want to think about someone that can't in turn do anything for me. They're not in a position to bless me back. They're not in a position to repay me. They're not in a position to reciprocate. But because of God's love poured out on me, I want to be generous to them. I guarantee you our Christmases would be more full of joy if we would do that. If we would, it's crazy. It's so counterintuitive. The more we think about others, the more joy we have in our lives. And the more we think about ourselves, the more anxiety and stress and, and the more selfishness that rises up in us. It's counterintuitive, but it's the absolute truth. Why don't you try it this Christmas season? I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge myself to try it, to be more intentional about not just thinking about myself and my own family, but thinking about people that can't not ever reciprocate, cannot ever repay me back. Just like I can't ever repay back Jesus for what he's done for me. He is our model. He is our example. We are to be like him. What if this Christmas season you said to yourself, you know what? I'm going to jump on the generosity ladder. 
I'm going to start giving. I'm going to start giving to the church so that they can fulfill its God-given mandate and vision for this neighborhood and this community and for this city. What if you said this Christmas season, I know I have a list of gifts to buy, but I am going to start trusting God with my tithe and I'm going to start giving 10%. Or maybe you already give 10% and you say this this Christmas season, I'm going to live in the, in the rhythm of I'm going to go above and beyond and I'm going to give more than just my 10% because I trust God. I have more than enough, but now I want to be a blessing to someone else. What would your Christmas look like if you decided to do that? I think you would have more joy in your life. I think you would have more peace in your life. I think you would walk around feeling like, you know what? I'm giving to something that's bigger and beyond myself. Man, that's that's an amazing, amazing feeling right there when you when you know that's what you're doing. This Christmas season, the first rhythm that I want us to walk in is the rhythm of generosity. Fight against the current of consumerism. Fight against the rhythm of self-indulgence. Fight against the rhythm of selfishness. And walk in the rhythm of sacrificial generosity. Amen? Let's pray.